Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. This is episode 500 of Smashing the Plateau, and for this milestone episode, I'd like to go back to the beginning when we launched Smashing the Plateau. It was 2014, and podcasts weren't quite where they are now. It seems like you've had a knack for working in areas that are just about to blow up. How do you manage to make that happen? Uh, I would say that's true. I've always been interested in new technology and new opportunities for distribution. And I guess it happens just by being very involved in the communities in which uh, I'm interested, uh, especially digital entertainment from the very beginning, and just being very open to new ideas and opportunities. I think that's an, an important aspect is to be open to uh, incoming opportunities and new ideas. That's me back in July 2014 interviewing Blaine Grayboys, the CEO of Beyond Gaming. I'd never done anything like hosting a podcast, and I remember how anxious I was about what seemed like a very daunting first step. Reflecting back on the process, I'm sure I was overprepared for much of what I needed to do as the host. I was probably overscripted too. Blaine was a great first guest. So was Patty Sofer, my second guest, on our second episode. What are you going to do if you get an order tomorrow that will increase your business by 50%, mm-hmm. right? And, every, and everybody goes, oh, I'm going to take it, I'm going to take it, I'm going to take it. Exactly. And Wrong I say, answer. And I say, how are you going to deliver on your promise to your customer? And nobody gets that. Nobody understands that. And we certainly didn't. Patty started her career as a successful fashion model, went on to found the award-winning ad agency Sofer Atkins, and had just written a book about the failure of her agency due to the collapse of her partnership. Since those first couple of episodes with Blaine and Patty, we've had many discussions with amazing entrepreneurs about what it takes to overcome the roadblocks that make us feel like we are at a plateau. I'm thrilled that we've been able to feature the stories of so many amazing entrepreneurs about how they've smashed the plateau. One of the reasons why our content creation has been successful is because we've always had a team. We had a small team that worked to produce hundreds of blog posts even before we launched the podcast. And we had a team that was part of the launch and the ongoing production of Smashing the Plateau. I believe that building the right team is one of the most important ingredients of success. I'm proud of what our team has produced over the years. Michael Shine was a key member of our content creation team as we launched Smashing the Plateau. And together, we worked hard to create a podcast with quality information for you. Not only did Mike and I work well together, I'm grateful that we became friends too. I asked Mike if he would join me on this special 500th episode of Smashing the Plateau to talk about how we started, where we've come since 2014, and what we can look forward to in the future. Now, before we get into our discussion, I want to tell you a little bit about our friends at SiteHub. If you want to use cutting-edge digital thinking combined with top-notch industry expertise to build your website, contact SiteHub at YourSiteHub.com. My friend Michael Shine is the founder and president of Microfame Media, a marketing agency that specializes in making idea-based companies famous in their industries. 
In addition to working with clients like the University of Pennsylvania, United Methodist Publishing House, LinkedIn, and Citrix, Mike writes for Forbes, Inc., Huffington Post, and Fortune about marketing, storytelling, and the phenomenon of hype. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Mike back to Smashing the Plateau. So, Mike, this is the 500th episode, and you were part of the beginning, which is the whole reason why I'm a podcaster, and I'm really grateful for everything that you've done to help get Smashing the Plateau off the ground and make it a successful show. Uh, So first of all, I just want to thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. And thank you. It's really been a point of pride, you know, for me, whenever you have the opportunity in your professional life to come up with something as we did together and then see it become a bona fide success, that's very gratifying. Yes. And I, I will admit, although I had listened to lots of podcasts before becoming a host of my own podcast, I didn't know much about podcast production or creating content. And it's uh, it's been an interesting journey, and I I really love doing it. Yeah, I know you do, and you're very good at it. So who would have thought? <laughs> so, you know, going back to like five years ago when we first launched in the middle of 2014, if you recall, what what gave you the idea to suggest a podcast? So in regards to content, 2014 is a lifetime, right? I mean, a lot has happened in both the podcasting world and the content world since then. From what I remember, you know, you brought us on as your marketing agency and and we were a lot smaller than we are now. And, you know, I was a writer, I'm a writer by trade and training. And we originally started doing written content. You know, you had worked with a gentleman named Chris Weller, who's also gone on to have a great career. And he was your first team member, I believe, uh, in the content space. And you were kind of blogging, but didn't know what to do with it. So initially, we started, I believe, interviewing people by print. And that was really time intensive. And and it didn't really give you the chance to have the same kind of conversation. So I'm always reading and I'm always learning and going to conferences and things like that. And podcasting as a marketing tool. And and what you've done has become so much more than a marketing tool, but you do have a business and you were looking for ways to demonstrate your expertise. It just kind of started being talked about. So I said, Hey, David, have you ever tried this thing? It might be a way to get around some of the inefficiencies and, or, you know, that sort of thing. So it started that simply. And then when you began doing it, since you're so interested in conversations, it went from being a marketing tool to being the thing itself, from what I understand. I mean, you became really interested in it and got good at it. And I think it sort of went from there. Yeah, no, it, it's fascinating how things evolve. And I think one of the things you're pointing out is how important it is to take that first step, even when you're really not sure what it's going to lead to. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yes, Chris was our first team member when it comes to content creation, which we did start in blog format with just text. Gosh, I, I don't even remember when we started. Maybe it was 2012 or so. Yeah. So we've been at it for a while now. And yes, podcasting has really evolved in the last five years. It's um, taken off in a way that I think people probably wouldn't have predicted five years ago. It's funny. I read an article about this gentleman named Adam Sternberg, who's a really good feature journalist, who uh, wrote an article about the rise of podcasting. And he talked about it in terms of kind of what we're talking about, that there were a lot of other forms that were supposed to be 
the, the big new thing, right? You know, from, I mean, I can't think of them offhand, but yeah, or, you know, internet radio that had a whole bunch of hubbub around it and the more traditional, you listen to it as it's being broadcast, but online kind of thing, even VR right now, but who knows, but there's been all this hubbub and podcasting really never had hubbub. I mean, it, it, it came out years and years and years ago, years ago. I mean, I think the first podcast were around 2000. I mean, it was really early on. It's iPod. You know, it was when the iPod first came out. That's where that word, there aren't even any iPods anymore. And it's called podcasting. And, you know, it, it sort of bombed because they were hard to use. You know, they, they never had a lot of fanfare in the beginning. They were difficult to use because the the um, phone technology, there was no phone technology. You had to download the files. So it was only the diehard people who listened to it. I remember I have a friend, Amanda, who used to tell me I listen to podcasts to go to sleep. And I remember thinking to myself, what what the heck is that? You know, it's a podcast. And just slowly but surely, you had this small, dedicated audience. And as the technology got better, it just sort of grew and grew and grew. And people experimented with it. There was no expectation. People just tried all kinds of things. And now it's the biggest new media form in the world. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenon. It certainly is. So fast forward now to 2019. We're almost at the end of 2019. What are you up to these days? I'm up to a bunch of things. You know, the agency is going well. We, we've really honed, partially thanks to you, you are a relatively early client and you are a consultant. And um, what I realized more or less by working with you and a few other companies and people was that there are a lot of consultants and people and companies selling ideas, you know, that are really good at what they do, but they don't necessarily know how to package it or have that contrarian point of view or have the right media. And it's really important for me to give good ideas, a good showing. So I realized that that was my sweet spot. So that's, you know, we've, we've built on that. So we work with a bunch of traditional consultants. We work with publishers who like United Methodist Publishing House we've worked with who are trying to pivot to or and who are pivoting to become less of a traditional publisher to turning all of their thinkers and writers into media brands. We work with some executive ed programs, Gordon College, some aspects of UPenn's executive ed program. And what they have in common are they all have good ideas, but what they don't know is what's that contrarian point of view that will make them stand out. And then what is that set of activities that'll make them dominant in their niche? And we've gotten really good at that and we've expanded there. So that's, that's going strong. I'm still writing. I write for Forbes. I, I write for some other places and we're experimenting now with creating a series of workshops and products around the concept of what I call hype. I took back that, that word, uh, which often has negative connotation. And I basically you know, said to myself, why is it that the best marketers, the absolute best marketers aren't really marketers at all? You know, you had all, all of these, the, the crazy people who did all kinds of stunts in the early days of Hollywood and later on in rock and roll and hip hop, you know, propaganda artists and cult leaders for all of their negativity. They have this, un, this crazy ability to control crowds. So I got really interested in studying what they do and seeing if I could apply it ethically so I can put those tools in the hands of the good guys instead of the bad guys. And, it, and, it, and it's worked. And we've applied a lot of it in our agency. And now I'm trying to teach it on a more mass scale. Wow. It's certainly a fascinating niche. I mean, I've certainly paid attention to the folks that seem to garner large crowds, often through very negative sounding messages. So kudos to you in trying to understand how that works and use it for good purposes. 
You know, when you say negative sounding messages, it's often that the content is negative. But what I've found is that that's because the people who on balance are most natural at it look at the world as a chess game. They, they often don't look at people as people. They look at people as players in a game and they deal with the world as it is rather than how it ought to be. And a lot of the rest of us, you know, we have a whole lot of empathy, but on top of that, we have a whole lot of rules about how the world should work. So you say to yourself, oh, you know, the world ought to be this way. So, so you don't behave in ways that, you know, would be beneficial. And also it requires a lot of self-regulation to be able to do the kind of things I'm talking about. Someone who's a sociopath, you know, can, can really detach themselves. Whereas the rest of us, we might know what to do, but it's hard to do it. But if you look at it, people like Richard Branson and Martin Luther King and, you know, the original manager of the Rolling Stones, Andrew Lou Goldham, and even Mother Teresa, believe it or not, they did a lot of the same things. I mean, Martin Luther King was a master of framing the media, was a master of using what we call ethereal language, which is something that you can't really pin down in specifics, but, you know, broad concepts, future focused concepts that people can buy into. So it's very, very doable and it's very effective. It's an amoral set of tools, not an immoral set of tools. It's just that the bad guys come to it more easily on balance. And I want to change that balance. I, I don't think that's a good thing. Yeah, it's very, as I said, it's very fascinating. And I'm looking forward to watching what you come up with next and how you use your influence for for positive results. Thank you, David. Yeah. And I'm, you know, along the same lines as what you were talking about earlier with regard to um, all these folks who are consultants and, and struggling to get the right messages out. I'm certainly, I, I've seen that over and over again with many of the guests that I've had on Smashing the Plateau, so much so that I ended up deciding to start a second podcast, Going Solo, which yeah. is really focused on what happens when somebody goes from being an employee to an entrepreneur, especially those that do it towards the, at least in the second half of their career, if not later. So generally people who've been high achieving employees for 20 to 30 years or more, they get fired and then they, many of them have really wanted to be an entrepreneur for the last number of years. And it, they just didn't have the courage to do it on their own. But when they, mm -hmm. when somebody else pulls the trigger, they're like, okay, this is an opportunity. I'm going to make it work. and I'm going to do my own thing and be in control of my life. The challenge for them is that understanding what they are, what they're most competent at doing, what they love doing the most and who they want to serve and how to craft that whole message around that is often very challenging for them. And so um, one of the things that we are talking about in Going Solo is that whole combination of experiences and skill sets and how do you actually go through this transition and make the best of it and, and hopefully come out much more successful and much happier in the end. Yeah, it's interesting. I found that if you're mediocre or incompetent at what you do and you try to go into business on your own, you're probably going to do poorly and go out of business. But if you're good at what you do or if you're excellent, best in the world at what you do, or I wouldn't say best in the world, but just that just so sophisticated at what you do versus just good at what you do. It's funny how often the people who are the best, most sophisticated technically at what they do complain about how their competitors who aren't as sophisticated beat them out. And I think you see that a lot with the type of people you're talking about because they've just been so good technically or operationally at what they do and they can't make it happen to the level they want. And I think that's because 
they focus so much in that area to the point where it sometimes becomes complex versus people who are like, you know, I'm competent. I'm going to deliver a good service beyond competent. I'm good at what I do, but I know how to package it. I know how to come up with that unique point of view. I know how to, to really raise a little benevolent mischief around it. It's kind of like the difference between all of these financial advisors that are out there and Susie Orman. If you look at Susie Orman's ideas, they're fine. You know, don't buy coffee, put money in separate accounts. Great. But she's such a master of framing it for people that she's a multi, multi-millionaire where her competitors aren't. Yep. It's a great example. Anyway, more of that is to come on uh, on my podcast coming up and more of what you're working on is to come. As I said, I look forward to hearing more about it. For those who may want to get in touch with you or learn more about you, where would they go? Well, really two ways. So one way that is a lot of fun is that because I'm always trying to research these hype artists, as I call them, and hype techniques, as I so playfully call them. I read a lot of books and we hear a lot about, you know, readings become very hot, but usually when you hear the books people are reading, it's, it's, it's pretty standard business book stuff. It's marketing books and sales books and positive thinking books. And while, while all of that stuff has some value, sometimes we fall in the trap of doing the same things everyone else does. So I try to go into some interesting, weird places. I, I read books about propaganda and unconventional mischief makers and all of the things we talked about. So it, I, I found so many of these interesting books that I started putting together a book list that I send out every so often. And people really like it a whole lot. So if you want to um, get that, it's hypereads.com slash list. And I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes, but it's hypereads.com slash list. So that's the best way. And But if you just want to find out more about our company, about our agency, it's microfamemedia.com. That's fame like famous. Everyone always thinks it's frame for some reason, but it's microfamemedia.com. Great. Yeah, we will certainly put all this in the show notes. Um, Mike, I want to thank you so much for being my guest on episode 500 of Smashing the Plateau. You were there at the beginning. You, in large part, are responsible for the fact that the show exists. And I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts with us today. Well, thank you, David. And I also want to say before we wrap up that um, you have become one of those rare things, a client who became a personal friend. So that's, that's another, you know, great thing that we've kept in touch all these years and really kind of formed a relationship. So. Yep. Right back at you, Mike. (laughs) Thanks again. Thank you. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, You'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we celebrate the 500th episode of Smashing the Plateau with my friend Michael Shine, looking at what it takes to create quality content week in and week out. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.